record the Dharma talk this evening. So, like I said, this evening's talk is on sati, which is the Pali word that often gets translated into mindfulness. And we've been going through the Eightfold Path and going through each path factor. And we're at the path factor of wise mindfulness. So to start, I thought it might be nice to just get a collective answer to what what is mindfulness. We hear a lot of, there's a lot of different definitions out there. And um, there is an ongoing debate within Buddhism about what is the true definition of mindfulness, which when I first heard that, I thought that was amazing <laughs> that, that something so such a cornerstone part of our practice there isn't actually an agreement on what it actually is <laughs> so it's something to know and it and it certainly then brings light to why are there so many different definitions so there's no um right now this isn't about having the right definition but i i thought it would be nice just to hear from the group what what is mindfulness to you? What do you, what, when I say that word, what comes to mind as a definition or even just as an experience or a practice? How do you understand mindfulness? You can think about it for a minute if you want. And then people can just unmute themselves and speak into the group. I liked when you wrote in the um, passage that you just did about the, uh, tonight's meditation about remember, because yeah. I feel that that's a, the deepest uh, definition of it. A practical definition for when I sit and stuff is paying attention in an embodied, heartful way, you know, and then it's broken down with abatement and mind of mind. But for me, the deepest thing is remembering, just remembering the truth of what it is. Mm, that's great. Yeah, thanks, Jude. I'll, I'll, I'm going to obviously say a lot more on that <laughs> since I wrote about it, but um, yeah, I'm glad that resonated. And then just paying attention to what is. Mm -hmm. For me, I think it's staying with experience in the present moment with a, a kind of love and curiosity. Mm. Great. Anything else? I guess I would say kind of an open awareness. So I'm aware and I'm trying to keep opening to more awareness. Meeting this present moment with an open heart and an open mind. What was the last part, Deb? An open heart and an open mind. And an open mind. I think for me, it includes um, watching my mind, watching what, where my attention is, as well as being aware that there's something beyond me. Mm. So it's sort of the zooming in, the zooming out both, um, and then an awareness of how attention moves. Mm -hmm. 
it's hard to it's hard to say in words. Yeah. Um, for me, the best analogy is is surfing. I don't surf, but <laughs> let me be clear. <laughs> but it's the way surfing looks to me. You know, aware awareness of being on the board, awareness of the board, awareness of the larger context of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's great. Up and the downs and yeah. I don't surf either, but that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Yeah, thanks, Joni. Mm-hmm. Oh, wonderful. I hear um, I hear all these different definitions, but they all have common threads. Um, I also hear a lot of heart that goes along with um, mindfulness and. Um, I, I am going to tease that apart a little bit this evening, but I do think that the two are needed together, uh, that mindfulness and then that, whether it's kindness or um, compassion or um, friendliness in, of the moment with the moment, I do think that's important, but um, I might tease that apart a little bit later. Well, that's great. I think wonderful definitions. Um, and it's true that in, in the email that I wrote, I, I talked a little bit about how the original use of the word sati was, was closer to um, remember rather than mindfulness. Mindfulness, that, that word, um, as it was translated, came from, they think, more of an Anglo-Saxon um, word. And uh it works. We, it certainly works. We've been using it. Um, but it, it doesn't necessarily reveal <laughs> a whole lot as, as far as what, it, what are we actually talking about when we talk about mindfulness. Um, and so I, I agree with you, Jude. I find it really helpful, this, this more um, um, ancient and direct translation of to remember. And there are some other translations um, uh, similar to that, but I, the one I, I've heard most of all is to remember. Um, so to remember, to keep in mind, um, these are, these are um, original definitions of sati. And really this is the function of mindfulness. So if we think of mindfulness as a function, what is, what's its actual function is to remember. But then we come to the question of remembering what? That is also up for debate. <laughs> and so sometimes we hear it's, well, it's to remember our truest nature. And my understanding of that, um, I don't believe, I, I, I'd have to look further into it, but I don't know that the Buddha actually talked about um, or used that phrase of true to, truest nature, but I, I appreciate that phrase. I, it says something to me. It speaks to me. Um, and I do hear it um, used quite a bit in Buddhist circles of, of this, this ability to remember our truest nature. And, you know, I think what that's really pointing to is what we just did in the meditation. If you were able to do the meditation where I actually took you through the four foundations of mindfulness, just the simplicity of what, what are we actually in each given moment? And we can, we can answer that question by bringing attention to our physical body, 
just what's going on there that we're just we're made up of all of these physical sensations all of these physical operations happening um, whether we're wanting them or or trying to make them happen or not uh, we are vedana we are this collection of um of tone in in our experience of whether it's a pleasant or unpleasant or somewhere in between that neutral zone all of this aliveness that's happening that it has this this tone of experience that we that it's not just neutral experience we're not walking around as these fully neutral experienced beings that we have a flavor to experience and that that is um, something we can't really do a whole lot about. It changes, they do change and we can set up certain conditions but we don't have a lot of control over the Vedana of our experience. And so we can bring awareness to that and see just how much of, of how we're experiencing life in any given moment is, is very influenced by that Vedana. And then our mind, these incredible minds that um, love to think and figure things out and go into imagination and um, sometimes are really helpful. Sometimes a lot of the times <laughs> get in the way um, with a lot of overthinking, um, but they are incredible and, and very much worth understanding what's going on in the mind. How is the mind functioning right now? Um, am I trying to make, uh, you know, am I trying to make some major decision with a mind that is contracted and unclear, uh, a mind that is restless or full of doubt? We need to know these things. We need to know these things to navigate our life. And then the last one was the dharmas, these deeper wisdoms. How do we, how do we um, frame all of this that we're experiencing? That it's, it's not enough just to pay attention, for example, to the sensations in your left foot. Uh, that's, it's, it's wonderful practice <laughs> and it's not enough. As in terms of this awakening process that we're doing more than just paying attention that we are, we're cultivating for a purpose, that there's a reason to it. And there's a way in which we can bring our mindfulness to the Dharma itself and have that be part of the landscape as we're paying attention to our experiences so that we can understand um, how impermanence or the Four Noble Truths or even the Brahma Viharas could be experienced in the sensations of our left foot. That that's actually possible. So um, this remembering of our truest nature, uh, that, that phrase, um, when broken down, I think it's pointing to this, just the, the nature of what we are in a moment and that we can know it, we can understand it. And as simple as that seems, it takes oftentimes lifetimes of practice to be able to do that. But it's not what, what most of us are easily inclined to do all the time. And so this remembering 
to come back to who we really are and not in the fabrications or the illusion of what's happening, to come back to something that's actually, actually happening, to understand this is what's at play right now. Sometimes um, what it means to remember is referred to um, just the present, remembering to come back to the present. That it's so easy to kind of be pulled off into a different direction. We're in the future, we're in the past, we're in you know, some imaginary world in our mind and we're spacing out. <laughs> we're, not, we're not present all the time. And so it's just this remembering of how to be present. And it's fun <laughs> when, you're, when you get into it, when you're in your meditation and you can be off, 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 off in some other universe. And then boom, it just takes a mind moment to switch from that to, oh, right, I'm sitting, I'm meditating. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm doing right now. It just takes that, that switch of, of, uh, of understanding. This is actually what I'm doing right now. And in that moment, there, there can be mindfulness. Now, whether that mindfulness is sustained and, and understood, has, has, there's some other qualities that I'll bring forward later. But um, some would say that to remember is just that, just remembering to be present. And then further would be to remember the teachings that as we're practicing this, and this kind of somewhat is in alignment with knowing, remembering the dharmas. And I think what, what um, is important here that mindfulness is complex. Mindfulness is, uh, it's a practice. It's something that we can, we can cultivate within ourselves. Um, but then it's more than that. It's more than just a training. It's also a state of mind that it's something that um, can be our, um, our way of being. And maybe that's sustained and maybe it's chopped up through, through our day or through our week, um, but that it, it can be both. And that it's uh, this remembering to be present of the teachings that can be helpful to keep putting the effort, the energy into um, coming back to the training, to um, the practice, understanding that one of the results is this state of mind that is mindful and what that does to us, the, just all the benefits that come with that. And it's probably worth knowing, um, if you don't already, that mindfulness is one of the seven factors of enlightenment, that the state of mind that we're, we're hopefully cultivating through our mindfulness practice is, um, in a way, a prerequisite to, to waking up um, to enlightenment, that it's, it's one of seven so it's mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. These are the seven factors of enlightenment.
So sati, um, sati has important qualities that um, I think this is that are helpful in terms of defining what is it exactly. So we know it's it's this paying attention. We know it has this this remembering piece to it. Um, but just that alone isn't quite enough in, in terms of encapsulating what is, what is mindfulness. So two other qualities that seem um, to go hand in hand, or maybe in some cases are, are part of the definition of mindfulness, depending on, on who you're talking to, is alertness, that there needs to be uh, this, this attentiveness, alertness, you're, there's that presence to what's here. You know, it's, it's different than kind of just slogging through having this vague idea of what's happening but can't quite put your finger on it. Um, there's an alertness quality with, with mindfulness. Another phrase would be contact, that we are coming in contact with our mind, with our attention, with what's here. It's alertness. And that can be done with, with a great amount of energy in the body. It can also be done when we're feeling really tired. So I find that it doesn't always matter what my energy level is. Sometimes when I'm feeling really tired is when I can be most attentive to my inner experience. It kind of cuts down all the noise. Now, other times, you know, I find I'm dozing off. And so there's a line there. But um, just to be clear that it doesn't, attentiveness doesn't always need some balanced high level of, of energy in order for it to work. And then the other is intent. That intention and mindfulness um, are, are really important in terms of wise mindfulness. So we can be mindful on accident. That happens. It happens all the time. You know, suddenly we find you know, ourselves just pleasantly, accidentally mindful of something. Um, and then we go about our day, you know, or go about whatever we're doing. But we, catch, we can catch these moments of, of mindfulness on accident. Um, so that wouldn't necessarily be, or I would say it wouldn't be wise mindfulness. There isn't... Um, an intent, an intention there. there. There isn't something grounding it in the moment. We're not touching into something that's going to lead to better understanding. We just happen to stumble into mindfulness. So my understanding of intent and, and wise mindfulness is that there is this, um, almost a, like an energy behind it of, of wanting to understand, that we want to understand, we, we want to be present. That's the intention. That wise mindfulness has, we start to get into that wise effort that we talked about last week. That there's, there's an effort there, but it's, it's um, generated by this desire, a type of desire to know, to be, and also a desire to be free of our suffering or our stress or unhappiness. So this type of desire in Buddhism is called chanda. Chanda is 
wholesome desire, the desire that propels us uh, into practice, that that um, um, gives that grounding to our mindfulness, that gives us access to more wisdom. So this is important that these these all come together. I want to read you a quote. This is from um, Utejaniya, who is a uh, Burmese um, meditation teacher, master, really. Um, and he wrote a book called Awareness Alone is Not Enough. And I'll just read you this, this first page. He says, most people, oh, and I'll just, I should say he uses awareness and mindfulness interchangeably, which is also a debatable thing. <laughs> but for simplicity, just know that he's interchanging these two words, that they're meaning the same thing, they're meaning sati. So mo most people don't seem to really appreciate the value of the work of awareness. They tend to think that the importance of meditation is in the things that they observe. But the objects do not really matter. People also spend a lot of time thinking about the results. They want to experience peaceful states. They want to bliss out. Then they get attached to these states and to the objects they focused on. The real value of meditation is not in getting such results, however enjoyable they may be. The real value of meditation is the actual process of being aware and understanding what is happening. The process is important, not the result. Instead of complaining about what it is or what is, what is, or what is not happening, you should appreciate that you are aware, regardless of what you are aware of, and learn from it. Awareness alone, though, is not enough. Having a desire to really understand what is going on is much more important than just trying to be aware. We practice mindfulness meditation because we want to understand. So I, I, I appreciate this point of view. It's not a point of view that you'll hear all the time, um, but I feel that especially for um, practi practitioners in the insight tradition, which is, is where we're practicing in the insight tradition lineage, uh, that this is helpful. I think that there can be a lot of um, striving. We talked about this last week with right effort and kind of a forgetting of the process that, um, it's, it's actually the process that is of real great importance that really does lead ultimately to that end result that, that we might be wanting or even something better. I find often that um, the idea of enlightenment is, is pretty off <laughs> from what it really is, that um, our, our mind's idea of what that might mean isn't, isn't always accurate. We don't realize that until we're much further down the path. So we can be striving for something, you know, thinking here's the end goal, but actually the finish line's way over here. So it's not really helpful. Uh, so it really is the process and that mindfulness, this, this 
this true understanding of what is wise mindfulness is a huge part of that process. So then, um, oh, mm -hmm. running out of time. I thought it might be helpful uh, in, in to, to talk not only about what it is that we are meant to remember with sati, but also to look at it from a different angle of what is it that we forget? So what is it that, that um, makes it such a challenge to remember? What is, what is the, the truth or the part of the process that we, we tend to forget? And I think that we could probably come up with quite a list collectively because it might differ um, per person, but just a few that I, that I came up with that I thought I'd share. One is that mindfulness is conditional. Um, we, we don't necessarily think about that while we're practicing it, but that there's certain conditions that help us be mindful, that it's not just something um, that it isn't something that just arises, even when we do it on accident, that the, it was just because the right conditions were there that that mindfulness came in. So mindfulness is conditional. Just like pretty much almost everything else, everything they would say, except for enlightenment is not conditional, but mindfulness is conditional. And so when we remember that, when that can be our remembering, when we don't forget that, there's, I feel like there's an opening for these heart qualities. There's, um, patience can come in. There is um, an opportunity for compassion when our mind is, is just, when it's just not working, when it's really, we're struggling to be mindful of what's here. Um, it also can tune us into, okay, well, what, it, what is going on in my life that isn't supportive to those conditions? You know, when we talk about living a mindful life, what does that actually mean? Does it mean that we're just practicing, 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 and then hoping that that falls into alignment with the life that we have? Or does it mean that we are living a life where we're creating the conditions that are ripe for practice. I think that this is how, this is really what a mindful life looks like. That we are purposely setting up our life the best that we can so that we can um, strengthen those conditions for mindfulness. So it's a little of both and, because then of course we have to practice. But if we're sitting on our cushion and then going out and living a life that is, that is um, the opposite of, of what you could imagine the conditions need to be, then um, when we come back to the cushion, it's probably takes a really long time to settle, to be able to establish that mindfulness if we're lucky, right? So something to remember that this is conditional. 
And then going back to this idea that mindfulness is not enough, mindfulness alone is not enough, um, to remember its context in the practice. Mindfulness gets a lot of airplay. You know, the secular uh, movement, which I'm a part of and I think is, is, a, is a wonderful thing in the world, but it, it gets um, spotlighted. And where the Buddhist path uh, differs from the, the secular mindfulness path and offers, in my opinion, a whole lot more is, is that it, you know, mindfulness is just this piece as far as the Eightfold Path. Um, it's just one of the eight fat path factors. And then there's all this, this other stuff <laughs> that we've been talking about, important stuff that we've been talking about um, for a few months now, that there's such a fullness to this practice and mindfulness is a part of it. And so although we do a lot of mindfulness meditation, even when we're doing that mindfulness meditation, there's all of these different path factors are, are part of that. Right, so our wise intention, understanding, our our sila. We spent time on sila, um, uh, just the ethical piece of our life, um, and then you know, concentration, wise effort. All of this comes into play. So mindfulness really isn't enough. Um, and then you bring in the Brahma Viharas. I think mindfulness practice without the Brahma Viharas. Uh, it's, it can be very disconnected. It's hard to be mindful and, and turn our attention towards something uh, if we are experiencing a lot of pain, if we're in a lot of suffering. How do we keep our attention there if there is um, you know, a lot of dukkha? The Brahma Viharas come in. They help settle our heart. They help settle our mind. Um, they give us a way to stay present, to stay mindful. So all of these are important. It's not just mindfulness. It's one piece. And then lastly, um, well, it's not lastly. I have a few more on here, but I'm not going to get to them. <laughs> I'll just plug in the, the hindrances that we forget the hindrances I won't go up too far into it because I've given hindrance um, talks, but hindrances um, are, you know, this is what they're hindering our mindfulness. They're hindering our ability to see clearly. And we can be so wrapped up in them like they are truth that we don't see what's, what's actually going on, what's under the surface of that, those hindrances. So remembering the hindrances when we're practicing mindfulness. And then, and then lastly, the simplicity of mindfulness. So even though it is just this one part, I know I said that, that there's all these other parts and all these other practices that are important. There's also something about the simplicity of mindfulness where we can tease apart the heart practice, we can tease apart um, all these other qualities and just being in that space of mindfulness, um, there's something very restful. When we talk about this just being, um, I think that's it's more of what we're speaking to. I had this experience that always sticks out in my mind as being kind of a transformative moment in my understanding of sati. 
uh, on a retreat where I was struggling, 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 struggling through, I think a good week, the first week of the retreat. And then, um, and then something broke and I, uh, I was able to see very clearly the hindrances and what was going on. And it just kind of broke the struggle in a very, almost a dramatic way where I found myself then uh, going out into this field that was um, just outside of one of the walking rooms of the meditation center that I was practicing in. And I went out and I just sat down and everything internally was just so still, um, or at least my, my attention was so still and so clear that mindfulness, it was just so clear. And I just sat and what just was, but I was so mindful of all my sensations, all of the, um, the Vedana that was present. It's very clear what was going on in the mind. The dharmas were, were, were very clear that were present. And there was just this being in this field with where I could feel no separation from the grass that was there that was moving and from side to side and there were crickets in the grass that were jumping around and all of this was happening it wasn't like everything stopped that movement and life and and uh just the flux of life was in full view and effect but the part that could just witness it all and know what it was was just right there and all I, the best way I could describe it is this um, extreme experience of simplicity. So there is the simplicity uh, with mindfulness that's quite beautiful. Um, always reminds me of that the Rumi poem, which I I looked up right before uh, the uh, the talk tonight because I thought oh every time I I think of this story I I think of this poem. It says, out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lays down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. And that, that just speaks to the experience to me. And I think, Joni, even in your description of, of mindfulness at the very beginning, it's hard to put the language sometimes to that experience of mindfulness, what it means to be in a state of mindfulness. But maybe that brings some light to it. So I'll stop there because I do want to hear from you what your questions are and ideas. Um, how is this landing for you? question yeah Ellen um well first of all just thank you so much for what you just shared with us at the end about your experience of mindfulness and it is amazing how it totally lined up with that Rumi poem yeah you said earlier that um you know what do we forget and one thing we forget is that mindfulness is conditional mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that certain conditions need to be present. So I just wondered if you could just talk a little bit more about like what conditions. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So there are, there can be many different conditions. One um, that seems very important is um, our sila. Actually our, our state of the state of our sila. So it's how we've been um, acting, our, the actions that we've been taking, the speech we've been using, um, you know, then wise livelihood is, is in the mix too. Uh, that that has a, a huge effect on our state of mind, that when we are um, acting and speaking in ways that are harmful or unconscious in some way, um, that that's, it, it's a, a major reason why we get so stirred up. And then if you look even closer into that in terms of causing harm, just how we might be causing harm towards ourselves as well. So in wise action, um, for example, if um, under consumption, you know, which is, is usually um, has to do with um, drugs and intoxicants, the line is drugs and intoxicants that cloud the mind. Um, I, I find it's helpful to look at that and expand that um, what we're calling intoxicants. So how are we, what are we taking in? You know, are we watching things on TV and the news? Are we listening to radio to an extent that it's it's be feeling toxic? Um, you know, what's our media intake? Um, uh, yeah, so that's that's just one one area in terms of the conditions in our life. Um, having the support of sangha is really important. But Sangha, whether it's it's a group like this, whether it's just having people in your life who are supportive, who uh, you can talk to, who you can practice being mindful with in, in life, you know, um, you can practice by speech with someone who can call you out when when you're doing unwise action. Uh, that's another condition. That, that we can change. These are things that, that we can, some of this we can, we can uh, decide to, to change. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's what comes to mind immediately in terms of off the cushion. And then there's, of course, practicing, having practice and, and contact with Dharma on a regular basis is, is, a, is a helpful condition put out in the world um, beyond that. These are some things, you know, one might think, well, you, you should go live in a monastery. And it's true, there's a lot of setup for good conditions if you're living in a monastery. Um, but then, you know, I think of Deepama, who I know we've brought up many times um, in this group. And Deepama lived, I believe in Calcutta. Is that the city? Was it Calcutta um, in India, um, in and in the you know the bustle, the the noise, the the sensory experience of that? She's a mother. She was a mother, a grandmother. Um, you know, people were constantly coming to her house for teachings when she was kind of discovered. So there's um, 
there were a lot of conditions there that you would think, well, that doesn't really line up. And yet she was this incredibly awake um, master. And, and there's others. It's not just that she was this special case, but she's the one that comes to mind. <laughs> Hi, Betsy. Good to see you. Hi. Hi, Kate. Um, I, I had a little, little experience maybe that relates to this. I loved what you said about attentiveness and maybe interest. I can't remember what the words were, but that little like qualities of mindfulness kind of flavors or something. I, I just, I just got back from a, a fairly long trip. So I'm lying down on my heating pad, but I was up at, um, the farm where my son is, is going to be moving at some point soon that he had his bought with some friends and nobody was there for two days. And I just wandered the land and I noticed the difference between just like ticking off, like, ah, oh, bird song, ah, oh, you know, feet on the ground, ah, oh, smell of whatever, like noting things, mm -hmm. but without warmth, without connection, just kind of noting. Mm -hmm. And then when I thought, oh, you know, turn on the heat a little bit, you know, like warm it up. You, this is where your son is going to raise your grandchildren, you know, God mm -hmm. willing. And, <laughs> and it was just so neat to feel the difference between, it's kind of what you were saying about intention and I don't know, just whatever words you use. And I, I had that felt experience of exactly that, of how different it was to bring warmth and interest to the mindfulness mm -hmm. and a connection, like wanting to connect with what I was, was observing and feeling connected just by noting that that's what I wanted. So anyway, that, that's what came to mind when you were saying that. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Betsy. It's a great example. Well, we're right there at time. Oh, you, do you have, a, maybe it's a short, Deb? Yep. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. You brought up simplicity. And I realized I was trying to think, why is, you know, why is my life so wonderful? And with this practice, with this mindfulness, it becomes life is simpler. It's just simpler because you're asking yourself, you know, is your intention aligned with what you're doing? That's it. Just cut through that crap, you know? It's like, that's it. And it becomes very simple. Yeah. It's a blend. Thank you, Deb. Actually, that's right. And I that that's an important piece in terms of just the conditions is renunciation, um, which again, you don't have to be a monk or a nun to do that. It's, um, there's different degrees of renouncing, but the idea of um, letting go of the things that are really not in service mm -hmm. to what, what, you know, if, you, if you're thinking deeply about what do you want? Why are you here? Why do you show up on Wednesday nights? Why do you sit on that cushion? You know, it's not comfortable. <laughs> this isn't like, laying down in bliss meditation <laughs> this you know there's a lot to this that can that where you're you know everyone has these periods of working through what makes us do that and then when we take that that 
yes, I, I want what this has to offer, but then shine that on to, okay, what are the conditions that we're creating in our life for that to really happen? Mm-hmm. You know, I think, um, I know that I, I go through different stages of that, of, of um, you know, being living in real simplicity and then getting kind of caught up in all the stuff and the busyness and the blah, blah, blah. And then say, okay, this is not in service. And then simplifying where, you know, where I can, where it's responsible. You know, some of us are our parents, some of us are um, homeowners, or we have jobs that people are depending on us. So it's not like just walk out the door to the woods and, and be done with all of it. I mean, the Buddha kind of did that, but, (laughs) you know, there were real consequences to him doing that. He didn't awake just because of that. Um, You know, he lived the consequences of that for a long time. So, um, mm, yeah, but renunciation, it's very important to those conditions. Okay. Well, thank you. And thanks, everybody. And I'll end with our dedication. So may the benefits of being here together, practicing in this way, practicing on this path together, may it be for our benefit. May we feel that benefit ripple through our life through our days. But may it not just stop there, may our practice be for the benefit of all beings everywhere, rippling out in all directions, excluding no one. May we all be happy and content. May we all be safe from inner and outer harm. May we all be healthy in mind and body. May we all be free. May all beings be free. Okay, everyone. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Kate. Thank you. Well, thank you. Good night. Good night. Thanks, Good everybody. Night. Good night. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.